0: Take a look. It's in a book.
1: It's Reading Rainbow.
0: You're listening to Culture Matters, a podcast of the Village Church. This is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my co-host, the Adam Hawkins. Adam, if you were to write a book under a a uh, pen name, what would it be? What would my pen name be? Uh-huh. Ace. Ace. What uh, genre would you be writing in?
1: Uh, it would be self-help and equine therapy.
0: <laughs> okay, and I'm imagining maybe a cover that has like your face on like a, a Fabio body, maybe like nope. brushing the hair of a horse.
1: Nope. <laughs> It'd be me as a centaur with very long hair. Awesome. Well, we're talking
0: about this because today we're talking about reading and books. Specifically, reading has become a little bit of a lost art, and we as Christians, we want to recover that. So as part of this conversation, which will get less and less silly, I expect, as we go on, we'll be talking with our uh, special guest today, Karen Swallow-Prior, who's a uh, Liberty University professor, and we'll even be hearing from some of our listeners who called in with their favorite works of fiction. Adam, I'm looking forward to this episode. How about you? I'm super excited about it. Awesome. Let's do it. Okay, we mentioned it a second ago. People aren't reading the way they used to. To be fair, this is probably—it's been probably a problem for a long time. Yeah. Uh, people have looked around and said, why aren't people reading like we would wish they were reading? But there was a recent Pew Research poll uh, that from earlier this year, 24% of adults said they have not read a book in the last year, whereas in 2015— of adults read at least one work of literature the previous year. That's the lowest percentage in any year since the NEA surveys began tracking reading and arts participation in 1982. At that point, the literature reading rate was 57%. That's a lot of statistics. That's a lot of research. But they're stacking up to say people are reading less. So let's talk about this, Adam. Why do you think people are reading less? Does it have to do with digital media? Does it have to do with society? Is it the quality of literature that's out there? Why are people reading less?
1: Man, I mean, honestly, for me, this is simply speculation. I don't know. I'm not an expert in any of this, but I think what you, the the categories you just put out there, does it have to do with digital media? Does it have to do with our speed of our society? I think Probably the answer is yes to those. I don't know that necessarily people are reading less. When I look at that statistic, those statistics, what it's talking about is have they read a book, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. In some sense, I think maybe reading has gone up if you think about the amount of people tweet and text and spend online reading, you know, uh, super truthful news on Facebook. <laughs> um, but, on, and I mean, I'm I, that's tongue in cheek, but I'm, I'm just, I'm being honest. Like, I think if you really think about it, I think people are probably reading a lot. They're yeah. just not reading books. Yeah. They're not reading anything in long form. I mean, it's even interesting to me to think like, you know, maybe 15 years ago, the idea of long form journalism, I don't even know if that was a thing, but now they talk about long form journalism and it's like, you know, a three page article or something. <laughs> and that's long form, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's not a soundbite or something. And so, yeah, I, I uh, in, in. In my mind, I think this is a real problem. I, I think the problem is people aren't reading books, not that they're not reading at That's all. That's interesting. Yeah. One,
0: since this research is very recent, one of the things I was thinking about is what has changed very recently that might impact this more significantly than over the last 50 years. One thing I thought of is how much more media is on demand now. Like, you don't watch what's on TV. You pick what's on your TV. So you're yeah. not turning on the TV to figure out what's on. You're going, at any moment, I could choose any movie I own or any uh, Netflix or subscription uh, media thing and just pick what I want to watch so it's as opposed to saying uh, I can watch what they're putting out or I can read the book that's in my hands I can always pick something I get to control my own media intake and so I wonder if that maybe has affected uh, people's wanting to pick up a book and read instead of watching or binge watching something I think
1: that's absolutely true when I think about um, over the past, you know, twenty years or so, just even the the idea when you look at society and how we actually consume media, of which books are one, right? Uh, it seems like the attention span is getting shorter and shorter and shorter and mm-hmm. shorter. So I even remember watching something about MTV and the guy who like created it saying like. Um, y- y- that they noticed once MTV became a big deal, that young people, uh, they they changed the way that shows were edited together. So you used to have sort of longer cuts, mm. longer takes in in movies and in shows and everything else. And MTV wanted to be like, boom, 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 like every yeah. two seconds, every eye blink Cutting there was like a, a commercial, cut, a cut, yeah. a cut. And they would cut like a commercial. I think about the way that music is consumed. Back in the day, it was an, an LP, an album, a record, you know, that you put on and you'd let the whole thing play, and then you'd have a CD where you could kind of, or tapes, I guess. I don't want to skip. But it became a little easier to sort of fast-forward things or make a mixtape or whatever. Yeah. And then you go to CDs where it's even easier to just skip through songs. And now I don't even think people listen to albums anymore. Like, you know, yeah. but it's most of it's just like, I'm going to go on Spotify and click this playlist. So it's just shorter and shorter and shorter attention span. Yeah. Um, and and I, I really think we're seeing that. And that's true in the written word too when you're looking at... um. Uh, Twitter, I think, is a perfect example. It's like people can't even consume information if it's longer than 120 characters. That's a really cynical way of putting it, but uh, you know, there's a sense in which there's so much more noise. Yeah, know? there is. So,
0: so there's there's people out there though that would say, "What's the big deal? Why why would not reading be a problem? Isn't it just as good that I absorb the content some other way? Like maybe I." Uh, read a synopsis of a book, or maybe I see the movie that came out about the book, or I consume the same information that I would have got in the news report by watching the documentary instead of reading the background on it myself. Why is it a problem that people wouldn't be reading books?
1: I So there's a couple things I would say. The first you know, you could attack this from a lot of different angles. I think the first is sort of to touch on the things we've talked about. There's a practical implication. It's harder to focus on things. It's harder to be reflective. It's harder to take complex ideas and, and sort of mull them over and do those kind of things. If all you're doing is these really short, if you're not engaging in things through reading, but I think there's a deeper answer and it's a theological answer. And this is what I would say. God chose to communicate to us in the form of a written word. That's good. And it's not a short word. It's yeah. 66 books. It's a long, it's a long right? Uh, it, you know, even if you look at the history of reading, like at, in the Protestant Reformation, like uh, th- there are these critics who go back and look and they'll say things like during the Reformation in England, that's when the English language was really formed, right? Because it had to be interpreted you know basically they took the bible and had to interpret it and then put it down in this very long form and so some people will say the creation of the of the english language was really formed you know when the bible was translated they say that about german too when luther you know with mm-hmm. the so I, I think there's a sense in which saying if you look at our history what why i bring that up is if you look at our history the protestant history even but i think you could go catholic history and everything else um Literacy rates, right, in countries that have been historically Protestant, I mean, if you can even say that, are much higher in mm. those countries than if you look at countries where the Bible hasn't been a fixture for a very long time. Uh, and, and I, you know, you can, that's more of a correlation than causation. But I, my whole point is to say in our history, there is proof, in a sense, that we have valued the written word. Why? Because we believe that Christ that God communicates to us through his word. And so he could have, if he wanted to, communicated in a different way. He could have created TV back then or whatever he wanted to do. (laughs) But for some reason, he chose the written word. And so what you do when you don't know how to read and when you don't know how to read in large chunks is you rob yourself of the ability to interact with God. I really believe that. So I think the the best answer for why this is a problem is a theological answer.
0: That's really fascinating. Well, we're gonna talk more about this with our friend Karen Swallow-Pryor. She's a professor of English at Liberty University. She's taught and written extensively on this topic. In fact, her latest book is called On Reading Well, and explores how books and literature give us wisdom and virtue. You will know it is time to turn the
2: page when you hear the chimes ring like this.
0: Karen, one of the things uh, that we've been discussing is that there's a lot of statistics out there that people are actually reading less. They're they're not doing the same amount of reading, reading the same amount of books that they used to do. Why do you why do you believe that might be the case? Why would people be reading less in today's culture?
2: Well, I think there are lots of reasons. I mean, we are busy, we are distracted, we have so many more options for our leisure time. And I think that the reading that we do do is largely not of books. Um, hmm. I think people are reading a lot on the internet. They're reading a lot on Twitter and on Facebook and blog posts and news feeds. And so there's a sense, perhaps, that people have that they're reading and staying informed. But the kind of deep, slow, character-forming reading that develops in reading long-form, reading books, is something that, that we are losing as a culture. We're, we're just not spending the time doing it and in order to recapture that ability and that skill and that desire, we actually have to intentionally pursue it.
0: Okay, so you kind of touched on there, like, why that would be a problem, that it's uh, not—you said character-forming, that long-form reading and reading books is character form. Can you unpack that a little bit for me, and then maybe tell us how does that connect with why you wrote uh, the book on reading well?
2: Sure. Well, just on a very sort of surface level, to sit down— and read something that requires sustained attention over a period of time is itself a practice and diligence and patience and attentiveness. And you know, that, that builds our character. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the whole thing that I talk about in, in the book is how when we not only do that, when we actually read in such a way that we are t- trying to learn how to better live our lives and how to be better people, and there—that's really one of the things that great literature offers us. Then we are indirectly building our character because mm-hmm. we are learning how to live, uh, learning how to navigate dilemmas and uh, and interpret and evaluate the complexities that life offers us in situations and relationships, and that's what—that's what great literature offers us. Uh, and so, reading it develops character and then interpreting, evaluating, and applying it well develops our character further.
1: Is this, Karen, is that, is that what you mean when you talk about the idea that reading kind of uh, teaches us a virt- virtue? Would you connect that to this idea of character building?
2: Yes. I mean, actually, the, um, the, the subtitle of the book, which is Finding the Good Life Through Great Books,
1: yes. is yes. an
2: echo of Aristotle's phrase, The Good Life. That's right. Um, I think it, that, you know, that's a phrase we use now, and if, if someone talks about living the good life, we usually associate that with someone saying that on a yacht or at their mm. beach house or <laughs> in yes. their Maserati, right? <laughs> but that is not what Aristotle meant at all. When he talked about the good life, he actually meant happiness, and he, being sort of the scientist that he was, observed human beings and saw in them the things that are never changing and the things that comprise happiness And it had nothing to do with circumstances or material wealth or success, but it had everything to do with character. Mm. So when he talked about the good life, he meant human beings being the best at being human that we can be. And so he identified all of the qualities or some of the qualities that, that make for good character and therefore lead to a good life. And later on in, in history, um, the early Church Fathers and other philosophers added to the list of virtues. There are many, many different lists of virtues, and I just chose 12 of them to focus on in
0: the book. So can you give me maybe an example, uh, more concrete? How does a great book help someone live a good life?
2: Well... What I what I talk about in the book, and and of course I don't. There's no way to say that people who read more are better people, right, or right. you know, or the only way to develop character or live a good life is to read good books. Of course, I'm an English professor, so <laughs> you know, English prof, gonna English prof, and I do think there's great value in in reading good books, and um, so I, you know, I, I basically develop. Um, each virtue that I chose around, I talk about what that virtue is, how it's defined, what it isn't, what the, the close but off-the-mark examples of it are, and uh, match it with a work of literature that I think exemplifies what that virtue is. So, for example, um, the virtue of courage is uh, is seen, I argue, in um, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, an uh, American classic that many are familiar with. And I talk about um, each of the main characters and how they either don't represent courage or come close to it or really embody it. Um, And so I go through there a lot of other virtues that I talk about um, in the book. And I temperance in *The Great Gatsby*, Mm -hmm. um, patience in Jane Austen's *Persuasion*, and prudence in an old classic, *The History of Tom Jones*, faith in *Silence*, and so that's really the pattern that I established in the book. And it, it's not so much uh, a recommended reading list or a how-to book. It's really more I'm just simply trying to model for people how one way that we can go about reading literature um, and in hopes that people will feel encouraged and emboldened to, and more confident to read more literature on their own and mine um, those literary classics for some of the riches that they offer
1: us. Right. Yeah. uh, I love that you did that. I love the connection between virtue and some of the great books. Um, One thing that I just, it caused me to think about was this idea that, in a sense, maybe the reason that these that great books can build character is because there's some sort of essential truth that they all capture right and you connected those to the virtues which is is brilliant really but i, I wonder like i guess maybe in a sense i'm asking what makes a book great and i'm and, and as i was thinking about that i was thinking a lot about this idea that um, there's something that that a great book does to the human soul, you know? It sort of hits the mm. tuning fork of your soul. It causes mm-hmm. you to think deeply about very important things. Um, and, and you know, I, I think about the, the, the essay that Tolkien wrote on fairy stories and those kind of things, and I just think about the, the idea that, um, man, that the truths that are being communicated in great books are – obviously because they're true, they sort of echo um, biblical truth in some way. I don't know if, I I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense, but I do think there's an idea of like, like take a, I mean, you know, people can disagree, but like, I I think about certain books and how there are like echoes of the gospel within them. Right? Maybe they're Christ haunted in some way. There's redeeming. And you can like, in other words, you can, in their story, you can sort of trace what you're talking about, Karen, are are the virtues, but you can trace like, okay, there's there's a hero, and this hero is on this journey, and this hero is fighting against evil. It's something we sort of all long for, Mm -hmm. the idea that um, good overcomes evil. The idea that there's something out there bigger than ourselves. The idea that the world isn't just ordinary, that it's special. Like, um, Do you think that is – is that something that makes a book great, that it, that it captures something essential about what it means to be a human and it, and it echoes the truths of maybe the more grand story that we're all a part of?
2: Absolutely. That that is. I mean, this is in some ways a really hard question to answer. I actually teach an entire graduate course on what makes literature good or Sign great, me up. and um, <laughs> yeah, and and it's it's the, the culmination of the course is to write a paper answering that question, yeah. and spend all semester studying it. But it also is. It really is essentially what you what you said. Um, what makes great literature great is that it, it whether, no matter who it's written by, it doesn't have to be a Christian author because we're all made in God's image and common grace allows us, and and, um, and general revelation allows us to see the truths of the universe as God created it, and great writers see that and communicate it. And I think, but another important quality of great literature is not just the themes, even though that's what I focus on in this book. But also the fact that um, that, it, I mean, literature is an art form, yes, and its medium is language. So, great literature, or even just good literature, literary writing, uses language artistically, as opposed to using it in kind of a straightforward utilitarian way, which is the way we have to use it when we read an instruction manual or read a news story. Yeah, you know, that's that's using language. But not in an artistic way. So, what great literature does for us, even you know, even like even beach reads or you know an entertaining mystery novel, there's nothing wrong with those. But in order to sort of rise to the level of literature, um, the language has to be used in such a way that it it's, it itself offers an experience. And so, yeah. I think you know, if, if we read a book that ha- ex- reveals a great truth that is confirmed by the Bible, what makes it a literary experience is that we participate in the act of discovery of that truth. It's not just simply told to us like a sermon. I, there's nothing wrong with sermons, by the way. Sermons are great, but they're not, you know, a, ser- <laughs> a sermon is kind of just telling us yeah. you know, how to think of what, what the answer is, but literature leads us yeah. to discover it, and, and we're made in such a way... That, that when that light goes on, when we feel like we've discovered something, that's a way of experiencing truth that can be more memorable and more powerful. And I think that's why, this is like another thing I mentioned in the book, I think that's why even recent, more and more recent studies are showing that people who read literary fiction um, have more empathy. And I think it's because rather than just being told, oh, this is right, this is wrong, this is how to be, when we read literary fiction, we're actually, we feel like we've discovered it and learned it for ourselves, and that's always more meaningful to us just as as human beings to, to learn something for ourselves, and that's what literature does. It allows us to learn something vicariously, but we're still participating in that act of discovery.
1: So, Karen... Um I love I love what you just said. I think a lot about certain books I've read where even sometimes I'm uninterested in the. I'm not going to name the name uh, of them because <laughs> I feel like that would be unfair, but because it's some of it's subjective. But sometimes I'm uninterested in the story, but because the language is so beautiful. I, I like the distinction you made between not. It's not always about the theme. Sometimes it's about the prose. You know. Ooh. Sometimes it's about the beauty right. of the language, how the it's artfulness. used, yeah. how they put it together. It really is an art form. Um, but that that's sort of leads me to this next idea, which is just, and you, you mentioned beach reads and, um, I guess there's this, you know, this question out there is that all, are all books beneficial? Um, how do we, how do we discern, how do we become discerning readers? Like, is it just to consume as much literature as possible or, or is there more, a more intentional way? Like what, what would you, how would you answer the question? Are all books beneficial? I would say no. <laughs> <laughs> That's very um, good.
2: <laughs> and, you know, anyone who knows my work and, and knows what I'm all about, I am for very much for reading widely, reading promiscuously. I even talk about in this book and, and in my first book. Um, so I'm all for wide reading. Um, but it's just like seeing a film. I only have so much time. Yeah. And yeah. I'm simply not going to waste my time. I don't have two hours or... Um, two days to give away to a book that's not going to somehow benefit me. Now, again, sometimes I need the benefit of just entertainment, and that's fine. But we, there's you, this whole idea of people will sometimes ask me, how many books do I read a year? Or they'll say, I read this many books. Or, you know, and that's fine if you're a fast reader but um, and you can read well. But reading well really has more to do with quality rather than quantity. It's much more re- rewarding to spend a month or two months reading a rich, challenging, rewarding book than to just flip through a book every two days and or every week and and read as many as you can. And and in fact I think I think a lot of people today that I talk to are discouraged because they feel like they are slow readers. But I have found among my students that slow readers are often some of the best readers and don't let the slowness discourage you it's actually a gift so i just would say read you know turn to people that you know and trust look for recommended reading lists. i've got some in this book right here um and and look for things that pique your interest because reading should be pleasurable um even as it should be challenging and rewarding
0: All right, let's step out of the interview with Karen for just a moment. We'll get back to it in just a second, but let's talk more about what's at stake here if we're not reading and why we should read. Adam, you said earlier that it's a theological issue. I think one of the more interesting points historically is if you look at a culture where there's an oppressive government or dictatorship, one of the things they do is remove education literacy from the people. It helps them maintain control. Or even the Reformation that you pointed to, Martin Luther's Reformation, is based in this. He read for himself, as opposed to just hearing what somebody else had taught him. There's a a power that comes with literacy and reading. But beyond that, just as a human, talking about the art of literature, which I know
1: you appreciate, Adam, what is at stake if we're not reading? Yeah, again, I mean, I, I go back to this idea that like, um, do you, you know, when you, when you read, when you engage media, you almost, uh, media that way, literature, let's say literature, when you engage literature, it actually expands your ability to appreciate and love God. I really believe that. Um, Now, I know that that's like a big statement. I think that can be done through other ways of learning as well. But the same way, like, I don't know if you've ever met like a physicist who like, understands the way the world works they're able to love god in sort of a unique way because they know that information and it connects to their their view of god so like the they understand the way you know gravity works on a bigger level or whatever and for some reason for them that is is able to increase their capacity to love god because they have that that knowledge you know Uh, i think the same thing is true when you talk to a historian the way they're able to sort of see the history of the bible unfold or something like that it expands their capacity to love god i think the same way with literature is because you're exploring ideas you're exploring metaphors you're learning to think critically you're learning to analyze you're learning to i don't know uh uh, uh understand human nature better i think you also are then able to take that And as you read the Bible, there are these little connections and pathways that go together. I also think, like as Karen was talking about, this idea of empathy and loving your neighbor. Yeah. um, There's a way in which I think people can kind of think about a reader or a bookworm as somebody who's sort of disconnected, you know? Like they sit in their corner and they have their cup of tea and they read all day or whatever. Um, But generally speaking, people who are reading are... Uh, really mulling over, especially the great books, uh, uh, hum- what I said, the human experience. Yeah, And so it actually makes them more empathetic. It makes them uh, be able to place people within a story. And when you – like so when I talk to you, it's not so um, – Pun intended. Atomized. I'm not just. It's not just this. Like I, I talk to this person, and uh, it's this one little experience. When I read, I understand that people live in a story. They have a life. There's yeah. something around them. And so when you, w- you know, when I communicate with my barista or my person at, at at the grocery store or whatever, it's easier to think of them as being involved in a grand narrative. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, saying? I love how you're connecting with. Yeah.
0: If our uh, maybe not inability, but lack of reading. Uh, doesn't also make the Christian ask, well, what does that mean for us when it comes to reading the Bible? Because uh, as somebody who's been around the Bible for a long time like you have, you understand that some of the same questions you're asking when you read artful, modern literature are the same questions we want people to ask when they read the Bible. What is yes. the What's the author intend? What is the application of of what this is saying? And we read, everything we read comes through the lens that we're given through the Bible, which is, who. what does this tell us about God and what does it tell us about mankind? Yeah which everything will point to this uh, need in mankind, a desperate need for a Savior that we find in Jesus Christ. And in in reading our Bible, that is revealed, but it's also an interaction with God. It's not a cold, absent reading. I love what you said about empathy and what uh, Karen Pryor says about empathy as well. I do think there's there's an aspect of reading that forces us to slow down in a way that other things don't. Oh, that's it. it. There's, it's kind of a dual uh, organized. like It both lets me control more the pace at which I go, and at the same time, is not uh, spoon-fed to me. as like, this is the pace you—the author doesn't get to pick how quickly I consume what they yeah. have created. I do read it, though, in order for the most part. But, but if we're not reading, and we're not reading our Bible, or we're not reading things that uh, uh, teach us about our world or teach us about ourselves, I do think that can stack up to a lot of issues. The right books— Uh, as Karen Pryor will write in her book, uh, the right books teach us right virtues. And so let's transition back to hearing more from Karen about that. Now that we have an understanding of the problem and what's at stake, let's talk more with Karen as we land the plane about practically how can we read better? How do we read well? I had a a short stint as an English teacher for a couple of years and uh, teaching freshman kids how to read. And there was an obvious difference to me that I didn't know going in between a kid that was able to pronounce the words and be able to put the sentence together and then a kid that could actually read something and understand what the author was trying to accomplish. And not just reading slowly, but reading maybe um, knowingly, discerningly, or with some some knowledge. But could you give us a couple practical tips for the person that wants to know outside of just being able to read more slowly? What else would you recommend if somebody wants to read well like we're talking about and not just the breadth of what you're reading or the speed at what you're reading, but... How would you recommend to someone, this is uh, something practical when you're thinking about reading well?
2: Well, it, it really has to do with engaging and interacting with the text. Um, not just. It's so easy to fall into the habit of just sort of skimming our eyes across the page but not re- and not really thinking about what we're, what we're reading. So we have to focus and be attentive. I think it helps to have a pen or pencil in hand and mark as you read and underline and Stop and pause, and and just think about the way something has just been written, not just what it says. Um, ask questions. Uh, literature can be sort of odd sometimes, in in the details it includes and the details it leaves out. So ask yourself, well, why is this information in here and not this information? So ask questions. I mean, it, it is all about interpreting, interpreting the words that are on the page and, and trying to understand why it was written the way that it was written and why what it's trying to communicate, which is really what we do every day in real life when we meet people and they talk to us. We're trying to understand them and, and interpret what they're saying, and we may, might ask them a question. We really should approach reading the same way.
0: We talked a second ago about a reading list, and you're recommending, you have a list of books in your book, but if someone doesn't consider themselves a reader, are those the books that you would recommend they start with, or is there something else? And then what are some other things that you would put on that list to say, if you're, if you're wanting to become a, a good reader, you want to live a good life, you want to get into more books, here's what Karen Swallow Pryor would recommend.
2: That's a good question. It's a hard one. Um, this this book on reading well is not a recommended reading list. It's not representative of, of you know, Best of you know of right. all literature, it, it's all good literature. It, it's the literature that that means something to me that fit into my little framework, um, and I think they're all good books. But I don't want anyone to read this and think, "Oh, this book doesn't appeal to me at all," mm-hmm. and I'm, a, I'm I must be a terrible person because I'm not interested <laughs> in reading it. Not at all, not at all. As I said before, I'm just trying to model for people how to go about reading great literature. Um, there are lots of lists out there that you could use. I mean, actually, um, PBS has something going on right now, like The 100 Great Books or something. I think it's by popular vote, so I wouldn't necessarily go by that. But uh-huh. um, there's a long and rich literary canon in, you know, in English literature and world literature and African literature. Um, I would say look for things that, um, you know, genres and styles that appeal to you. Um, if you're intimidated, pick a short book. Pick an old classic like The Kill a Mockingbird* or, um, or uh, pick a, an American classic that you just, you know, you read in high school and you want to reread. Um, so there are lots of lists out there, and there's so much good literature. I just someone surely can find something that appeals to them. And I haven't even talked about poetry. Poetry is a great way to just read something short. And brief, and it doesn't take much time, but reflect on it. Read a poem a day or a couple of poems each week. And that will also deepen your, um, your sensibilities toward literary language. So I, I, I like to know what, people, what kind of literature people like before I recommend books to them because there are so, so many. I want them to enjoy the experience.
0: Adam, any final thoughts here, tips, tricks, developing healthy practice of reading, anything else specifically about reading or in general?
1: Yeah, I think um, just to sort of reinforce some of the things that Karen was saying about reading being character building or or virtue sort of uh, building is that um, unlike different forms of media, uh, we've talked about how it forces you to slow down, it forces you to reflect. Reading is a more. Participatory activity—it's yeah. less passive. Uh, we talk all the time around here about how you know you, when you read the Bible, it's less about you reading the Bible, more about the Bible reading you. Like yeah. that's the cliche, but there is a sense in which you—it forces you to come to grips with yourself and your experience and everything else. Um, as opposed to sort of just sitting back and ingesting maybe TV or something like that. It's much more participatory. And because of that, there's a give and take that happens. And so it's able to shape who you are. So I just say it's really, really important to be a reader. And I think most people out there really struggle with that idea. Like, well, I'm not a reader. I don't enjoy reading or something like that. And I I would just tell people like – Uh, It is absolutely a discipline, but it's one that's so worth it. And I think every, truly not not everybody's going to be a bookworm, but everybody can be a reader. Yeah. Yeah, that's
0: a good point. I think one of the things you're pointing out there is the difference between something that's engaging and something that might just be entertaining. Where so much of our culture is built to be entertaining, I watch it and I am delighted by it. But engaging means I am participating in what's happening, and books are more designed to be an engaging story than just an entertaining story. I, I have to enter in, and I have to become a part of what's happening if if the story is to move along, and that's fiction, nonfiction, and the like. I, uh, we're talking about this today because our, our, our podcast is on culture, yeah. and literacy is a huge part of culture. It is an art form. It's a way that Things are communicated, like Karen talked about. Uh, poetry is is a form of literature. There are many, many different forms of literature, whether it's biography, whether it's nonfiction, whether it's Christian devotional or fictional stories that uh, inspire or teach. There's all sorts of genres there. But in our culture, we are producing an incredible amount of literature. Part of it is the new movement of self-publishing yeah. that anybody can write anything and post it electronically, or even make it where it's um, a print as you put. Like if, if you want it, they'll print it. Yeah. And so so that is—it's a new kind of phase of literature that we've entered where anybody can do anything. Before we conclude, Adam, I know you're a big reader. Yeah. Anything that you've read in the last couple of years that you think these are these are some of my favorite books recently, or that you'd recommend to somebody?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, you know, and I think Karen sort of said it, but I, one tip would just to, would just be to say like, um, if you're not somebody who heavily reads, maybe um, think about what kind of movies you like. Uh, so, like, if you like science fiction, I'd probably try to find like a list of great science fiction books, yeah. right? Something like that. If you like uh you know rom coms, I'd try to find a list of like really good sort of dramatic books because there's there's so many genres out there. There are, yeah. I'd also challenge people to kind of read widely. I always I I think for our readers out there, because I don't just want to speak to people who are having trouble reading, there's a lot of people who read. Yeah. For our readers out there, I think it's good to challenge yourself. So some people can kind of get stuck in a genre and only read fantasy or sci-fi or something like that. I'd be like, hey, just try to try to widen that. I always love looking at National Book Award winners. Um there's a award called the Howells Medal that's given out uh, every five years for the best work of fiction in the last five years, and there are some super um, difficult books on that list that are fun to try to read. Anything specifically you're thinking from that list? Oh, man, there's a lot of good things. Gravity's Rainbow is on that list, uh, which is a Thomas Pynchon book, or Pynchon, however you want to say it, um, and he is a difficult author to read, but a lot of fun. Um, there's... Uh, I, um, Uh, A more recent book was called The Great Fire by Shirley Hazard, and that book is one of the most beautiful in terms of prose I've ever read. Right now, uh, I always try to have a fiction, a nonfiction, and a biography going uh, because I like to sort of go up and down in terms of – like I like to choose. Uh, One of the best books I've read recently is called Stranger in the Woods. It is about – the man who lived the long, human being who lived the longest in isolation. It was actually a hermit up in, um, Vermont or it's Maine. nonfiction, nonfiction book. It is brilliant. Um, this man lives in isolation and sort of his experience and what he learns from it. So uh, uh, it's fascinating. Um, the only person who's lived longer in isolation is actually uh, the last member of a tribe in the Amazon rainforest where everybody else in his tribe has died. Wow. And he's sort of said, so, but this hermit in the United States has lived longer in isolation than this person wow. who lives in the, So the fascinating book. I'm also reading some historical fiction right now about uh, Thomas Cromwell. There's a a woman who has won the Man Booker Prize. Her name's Hilary Mantel. She wrote – the first book is called Wolf Hall. It's about Henry VIII and um, basically – Uh, sort of the drama that unfolds there and then the second book is Bringing Up the Bodies which is really good and then there are plenty of wonderful biographies about Christian people out there. There's one on Tyndale that I'm reading right now but you can basically pick any giant of the faith and go and find a really well-written biography and those are always fascinating.
0: That's good. I love what you said about challenging people too. I think one of the things when I talk to my wife about what I'm reading and my stack of books to read she'll ask me are there any women authors in there or just men authors and uh, what's outside my stream both ideologically, theologically, Politically, racially, part a big part of uh, being aware of the divisions in our country is reading across the divisions in our country. So, if I if I have only uh, people that are like me, if I only read white Christian men authors, yep. then it's it, that's not bad. It's not something to apologize for, but I can end up in an echo chamber of ideas. So, finding something that challenges me, and then also in fiction, also there's a couple. In so, the, what are you reading? Well, that's a good question. Yeah. I. I try to consume books in a lot of different ways, and I don't read them as as quickly probably as you do, but I'll have Audible books for when I'm driving, which is a big deal right now if you use Audible or some other service to listen to audiobooks. I I read a lot of fiction that way. I'm not good with nonfiction on an Audible book. I have a Kindle for especially travel, but it really helps me switch back and forth between books like you talked about. If I find myself losing steam in one, the Kindle lets me have on my same hand a bunch of other books, and I'll switch over, and it's cheaper in a lot of ways. One of the books I read recently, Paperback, That I just loved was Gilead, and I've told you about that. And you still haven't read it, have you? No, I have not. That's because you're a punk. It's beautiful. Marilyn Robinson, I think. Yes, that's right. Marilyn Robinson. And it's beautiful. It's about a a pastor who's aging and looking at the end of his life, who married a younger woman, who then has a young son, and he's writing a memoir to that young son. It's a three book series. I'm actually in the second book right now, which is kind of a modern-day prodigal son story about his best friend down the street. But it's just Beautiful. I, we could talk all day about the books that yeah. we like. I know we could. And they do affect our views on culture, and they, um, it is important for us to talk about these things. But really, more general to land the plane, we think reading is important. Yeah. We think it's a great way to, to see the lens of Christianity played out in, yeah. in the culture we live in, but it's also a way to expose yourself to other ideas and to be stretched and challenged. So I hope our readers listened to this and got fired up about reading more.
1: Yeah.
2: Monica writer. I was listening to your Culture Matters podcast, and I wanted to tell you I'm from Highland Village, and my favorite book is um, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat by John Ortberg.
0: Hey, Culture Matters. This is Landry in McKinney, Texas. My favorite
2: fiction book is The Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss. First picked it up two years ago, and have since read it three times over. Thanks, okay. guys.
1: Hi, my name is Jeremy Keegan. I live in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and one of my favorite fictional books is The Gunslinger by Stephen King. The man in black delivers a monologue to The Gunslinger at the end of the book, and I was so struck with awe by his descriptions of size and the universe, and especially his question at the end. Think how small such a concept of things makes us gunslinger. If a god watches over it all? Does he actually need out justice for a race of gnats among an infinitude of races of gnats? Does his eye see the sparrow fall when the sparrow is less than a speck of hydrogen floating disconnected in the depth of space? And if he does see, what must the nature of such a God be? I was blown away thinking about the answer to that. My name is Dustin and I'm living in Wisconsin, originally from Texas and my favorite book or the most impactful fiction book for me has been Ender's Game. It is to me a perfect blend of sci-fi and fantasy and young adult literature is one of the books that most captivated me when I was younger. Um, it, it's a complex book yet it's uh, simple to read Got some great themes and principles on leadership and empathy. It's not the world's greatest book, but it's one of my favorite books of all time. Hey, this is Emzy from Plano, Texas. My favorite book is The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. My dad read this to me when I was in kindergarten, and it was my introduction to the fantasy genre as a kid, and that's still one of my favorite genres to read. Um, I just think they're a great way to explore and go on an adventure without actually leaving home. Um, I've reread The Hobbit probably half a dozen times um, since then, and now I read it every September.
0: My third
2: fiction book is The Kite Runner. I hadn't read a book in about 10 years, maybe even longer.
0: I read that book, it exposed me to Uh, the effects of uh, war in Afghanistan and also good writing. Uh, That's it, that's all, bye.
1: Hey, my name's Ryan from Dallas
2: and my favorite book is actually seven books. It's definitely Harry Potter. Um, If I had to pick one though, that's my absolute favorite, I think I'd go with the fifth one, The Order of the Phoenix. It's the first one where you're fully starting to dive into this battle with Harry and because of when it came out, I kind of got to grow up with him. And all his friends. So by that fifth book, the things were getting more and more intense. It just kind of felt like the characters were ready for that, but so were we as readers. So at the end of the day, it's just kind of a classic story of light versus dark. But when I read that first book as an eight-year-old, it totally sucked me in. And it's honestly what made me begin to love reading and writing.
1: My name is Bernice Craig. I'm
2: from Sugar Creek, Ohio. Uh, my favorite fiction book might be The Little Prince by Antoine de Saint Exupery. I really love it because it's just full of really true things. Both me and my husband love this book, and we just had our first baby this past month, and so we're really excited to be able to share it with him.
0: If there's anything you heard on the show that you'd like to know more about, you can find details on our website, tvcresources.net. Our next episode is going to be another a cultural roundup where we tackle some different current events and cultural artifacts. And so we're looking forward to that. We'll see you next time. God bless and thanks for listening.